Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host, Chibeze Anakor, and on this episode, we'll be going over the Microsoft and Activision deal from a cloud gamer's perspective. Then after that, we'll get into what's going on at Warner Brothers Discovery. And then after that, we'll talk about why Google canceling the Pixelbook 2 was a mistake. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. All right, so to start off, we're gonna kick off with the segment that Xbox fans are probably going to hate me for, but we're gonna do it anyway. So we're gonna talk about the Microsoft and Activision deal from a cloud gamer's perspective. So for those of you who have been living under a rock for the past year plus, basically Microsoft is trying to acquire Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion, which is still a mind boggling amount. Um, But In this deal, Microsoft will gain several IP, such as Call of Duty, Overwatch, World of Warcraft, Diablo, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, Candy Crush, and others. So, why am I talking about this from a cloud gamer's perspective? Well, because not a lot of people are talking about it from a cloud gamer's perspective. Most journalists and influencers, or at least the big ones anyway, are laser focused on Sony, which, you know, I get it. Sony is probably one of, if not the biggest player in the video game industry, so... It makes sense that they talk about Sony, but, you know, come on, at least at least talk about from a cloud gamers perspective. Um, But anyway, since I'm part of the cloud gaming community, I figured I figured I would be a pretty good candidate to talk about this. Um, So let's talk about Microsoft's actions since announcing the deal, because Microsoft has been a bit shady when it comes to cloud gaming um, regarding this Activision Blizzard deal. Um, So Microsoft has claimed that cloud gaming is an immature and unproven market despite touting Xbox cloud gaming for the past two plus years. I mean, in every single showcase that Xbox has had since Xbox cloud gaming launched, they've touted cloud gaming or they've shown that their games, at least their first party games, will be available through console, PC and cloud. 
I'm not sure why you would go into cloud gaming as one of the mediums in which you offer your games and then say it's an unproven market when regulators grill you about it. That doesn't make any fucking sense. But the thing that Microsoft has done um, or I guess hasn't done is they haven't made any concessions regarding cloud gaming despite making concessions regarding consoles and subscriptions. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, Microsoft has offered 10-year deals to Sony and Nintendo and Valve to offer Call of Duty on all of their platforms, which would be the Nintendo Switch and what whatever... Nintendo releases after the Switch. Um, As far as Sony goes, like the PS5 and then later on the PS6 probably. Um, And then Valve, Steam. And so Microsoft has offered concessions in regards to console and PC gaming. But they've also offered concessions in terms of subscriptions. And what do I mean by that? Well, Microsoft also offered Sony um, the ability to add Call of Duty games into PlayStation Plus, which is PlayStation's kind of equivalent to Xbox Game Pass. So... So Microsoft was okay making concessions there, but we haven't seen them make any concessions in regards to cloud gaming. They haven't offered anything towards NVIDIA. They haven't offered anything towards Amazon Luna. They haven't offered anything towards uh, Boosteroids. So it's like... Or I can't say Stadia because Stadia doesn't exist anymore. But but they haven't offered any concessions in regards to cloud gaming. And now this looks hella shady because it seems more like Microsoft wants to keep cloud exclusivity for its or for the titles acquire from Activision Blizzard. And we will get to that later. So now I want to get into what could the deal mean for cloud gamers? Well, believe it or not, there is something good about, about this happening, about this deal potentially happening. And I mean, it's more of a short-term pleasure, long-term pain situation. So I'll go over it, or I'll go over about it. So the pro would be that more games would come to the, that weren't previously available that way. And as you know, Activision Blizzard offered any of their games to any cloud service. So it would so it would actually benefit cloud gamers for Activision Blizzard titles to be I think that's a good thing 
Now, why Activision hasn't offered their games through the cloud as of yet, I have no idea. But but if this deal goes through, then that would definitely and I think or it would change for the better, at least in the short term. But what about the long term? And that's where we get into the con. And that would be that Activision Blizzard games would be exclusive to Xbox Cloud Gaming, adding to the overwhelming amount of popular games on the service. And it would also limit others' ability to compete with that. Because how are you going to compete with a cloud gaming service that has IP like Halo, Doom, um, like Fallout, um, Gears of War, Forza, and then you add on top of you add Crash, you add Spyro, you add Overwatch, you add World of Warcraft. Like, who could compete with that? Who could compete with that? Like, almost nobody. So that would be a con of this deal happening um, is that is that cloud wouldn't really have much of a choice but to deal with Xbox cloud gaming as the or as the soul of certain um, IP or of certain games in the cloud and that is not a good thing because when to have choice then we win. Or when companies compete, we win. And Microsoft would definitely limit other companies' ability to compete if, or especially in cloud gaming, if this deal goes through. I don't want Xbox cloud gaming to become the crunchy role of the cloud gaming industry. I mean... Have you seen what Crunchyroll has done? First, they took out the ability to watch free episodes as soon as they merged with Funimation, which made them the biggest anime streaming service on the planet. Now they get to do whatever they want. And also, they kicked off Kyle McCarley as the English dub voice of Mob from Mob Psycho 100 and all because they just didn't want to negotiate a union contract which is completely fucked up but Kyle McCarley I mean can't really do much about it other other than tell SAG-AFTRA because again Crunchyroll and Sony they're the biggest players in the industry and they have a monopoly over the market. And I don't want Xbox to have a monopoly over cloud gaming. I don't want that at all. Because then they could get away with doing scummy business practices like that. But now let's talk about Microsoft's actions before announcing its intent to buy Activision Blizzard. Um, so, so let's talk about the Bethesda acquisition. So, 
In the Bethesda acquisition, I remember Phil Spencer saying a quote the day that the deal closed when they had the Xbox meeting between um, Xbox executives and Bethesda executives. I remember Phil Spencer saying this. This is about delivering great exclusive games for you, you being the Xbox customers, that ship on platforms where Game Pass exists. Now, that's a key now that's a key um phrase that last the last five words. Um platforms where Game Pass exists. And Game Pass does exist in the cloud in the form of Xbox Cloud Gaming. And so as far as providing exclusive games in the cloud, which is a place where Game Pass exists, Microsoft absolutely did that. And because of that, they shut out um, all of their cloud competitors from Bethesda titles. I mean, did Quake get... Um, released on any cloud platform other than Xbox Cloud Gaming? No. Did Deathloop get released on any cloud gaming platform other than Xbox Cloud Gaming? No. I don't believe you can stream it on uh, PlayStation's Cloud Gaming despite them having the year-long exclusivity. So, so yeah, I... So Microsoft has definitely shut out cloud competitors from titles that they've acquired in the past. So what makes anyone think that they're going to do anything different in terms of cloud gaming with the Activision Blizzard titles? Like, what? What makes you think that? But if you do think that uh, Microsoft would actually make concessions without being forced to do it, I mean, definitely let me know why you think that on social media or on Discord. And let me know what you think of this whole topic. Do you are you more concerned now about the future of cloud gaming if this Activision Blizzard deal were to go through? Or do you believe that Microsoft would actually make concessions without being forced to? Or do you just think Microsoft should just dominate the cloud gaming market before it even really takes off? Let me know. And like, if you're one of those people who's like really into the console wars and stuff like that, like this, this discussion is not for you. Like, let the grownups do the talking. All right. So, yeah, that's pretty much it for this segment. Um, and I will catch you in the next one. Up next, we'll get into what's going on at Warner Brothers Discovery. Then after that, we'll get into why Google canceling the Pixel Book 2 was a mistake. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be right back.
All right, welcome back. So now we're going to talk about what's going on at Warner Brothers Discovery. So for those of you who don't know, Warner Brothers Discovery was formed in April of last year after AT&T sold Warner Media to Discovery. And after that merger happened, like, there's just a lot of turmoil that's still going on to this day. So we're going to go over, we're going to go over some of that. Um, and so the first thing I want to talk about is layoffs. So layoffs started shortly after the merger happened and mostly, or they've been affected or they've, or, okay. The layoffs have mostly affected marginalized employees, including executives, um, and and even after like firing all of those people or laying them off, um, for some of those um, roles that were backfilled or for most of those roles, it was usually white men, um, particularly at the higher ranks. Um, it was usually white men that were brought on. So, you know, there's that in terms of um, diversity um, and inclusion and belonging at WBD. Um, and then... And then we started to see probably some of the most egregious. Well, I, I shouldn't say that because, or, okay. Then, or, so we know like the human part of, of the, or the human cost of the merger, um, started shortly after but then in July of 2022 um we started to see the content um being affected and what do i mean by that well like in July of last year almost 40 titles were removed from HBO Max and And most of them were animation titles, um, and some of them were even titles that appealed to marginalized groups, um, such as, or we're talking about like Generation, we're talking about uh, Minx, we're talking about so many other, so many other shows, um, and then like, or, oh, Lovecraft Country. Um, and then like, and then as far as animation goes, we're talking Infinity Train, Close Enough, Final Space, um, and so many other animated series. So 
some of this content was removed for tax purposes. Um, more specifically, it was, or some of it was written off for tax purposes. Um, and then some of it was taken off the platform to save money on paying the cast and crew residuals for those, um, or for those shows. And so, like, that's just really bad because, um, or that's just really bad because, like, for some of those, like, cast and crew, like, those residuals pay the cost of things like healthcare for them. So, like, you know, that could, or that's, like, a major, you know, quality of life thing that people are losing. Um, and that's just not good, no matter how you spin it. I don't care if you like the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery or, like, the moves or that he's done. Like, that's just not, or that's indefensible. Um, and then... Um, later on in October of 2022, um, Warner Brothers Discovery attempted to eliminate a writer's workshop dedicated to representation. Um, and then like a day after the Writers Guild of America opposed the move and and clapped back at Warner Brothers Discovery, forcing them to reverse that that move and reinstate that writer's workshop so that <laughs> that was pretty funny um it's just like that's another one of those indefensible things it's it's pretty much an act of bigotry at that point um like gutting a writer's workshop dedicated to representation. I mean, what what else could you categorize that as? Um, other than an act of bigotry. Um, but last but not least, um, like they announced the upcoming combination of HBO Max and Discovery Plus. Now, HBO Max and Discovery Plus are streaming services that are targeted towards two vastly different demographics, and there's very little overlap in between those demographics. So, I'm not sure who this um, unholy chimera of a streaming service that's coming up um, will be for. Um, I have no idea, but um, yeah, it's weird because you have or because all right. It's weird because you have shows like, say, The Last of Us, 
going on right now? And then after that's over, what are you like? What's going to hold people over until the next show comes or the next movie comes? Um, and I mean, you're going to tell me that discovery content is going to hold people over people who are into things like, oh, I don't know, um, action thrillers and, um, and animation, which, you know, they kind of removed a lot of, um, and it's just, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Um, and then like, a few days ago, as I'm recording this, Warner Brothers Discovery backtracked and actually announced that Discovery Plus will stay as a standalone option here in the U.S. So, I mean, what's really the point of combining HBO Max and Discovery Plus then? I mean, you could just bundle them like Disney does. Disney already figured this out. There are some people who want Disney Plus, um, and there are some people who want Hulu, and and there are some people who want ESPN Plus. Like all three of those have at least some level of overlap. Um, especially Disney Plus and Hulu. Like, those two have, like, an enormous amount of overlap. Um, and it took Disney way too long, but they finally released a bundle without ESPN Plus, finally. Um, but regardless, um, I just... Um, back to Warner Brothers Discovery. I I don't I don't understand why they want to combine HBO Max and Discovery Plus if they're going to keep Discovery Plus as a standalone option. And I mean, are people who liked HBO Max for what it was? going to actually watch the Discovery shows on the combined service? Or are most people going to do that? I'm willing to bet probably not. And also, it's like HBO Max just increased its price for its ad-free tier to $16. And once they or once they release this combined service, you can bet that there's going to be another price increase, which I don't know if I can recommend. Like, hell, even now I have a hard time recommending HBO Max as it is because of all of the content that's been removed. But this combined service, I I don't know if I can recommend it to anyone when it comes out. Um, I mean, we'll see, but they really have to up their content game. Um, if they, 
or if they really want people to subscribe to that combined service. Anyway, um, and oh, right. Speaking of the combined service, it doesn't even have a name yet. Now, it's rumored that um, they're just going to choose Max as the name of the combined service. And I got to say, that's that's a pretty terrible that's a pretty terrible name because it doesn't have like SEO um, optimization for it. I mean, it's that's too generic of a name. Um, now, personally, what I would name the combined service, I'd probably name it Warner Max. Because they have the right idea. I will give them the fact that they have the right idea of why they want to rename it. Because HBO, or having a service named H, or with HBO in the name, implies that it's, you know, only for adults and only has, like, pres- uh, prestige dramas and, um, like premium TV shows and like doesn't include things like Cartoon Network or DC or Adult Swim or or TBS or anything like that. So it, it makes sense that they would want to rename it. It's the same thought process that Paramount, formerly Viacom CBS, used to rename CBS All Access into Paramount Plus because CBS was um, mostly associated with old people. Uh, So, like, if you want younger viewers to be able to subscribe, I mean, like, having CBS at the beginning of the name of your streaming service makes it kind of a non-starter. So it makes sense that um, Warner Brothers Discovery would want to change the name. But why not just change the name of HBO Max, leave it alone, upgrade the tech, and call it a day? Like... You don't need to add any of the Discovery content. You didn't need to take off all of the content that that you took off last year. Just rename HBO Max, upgrade the tech, offer a bundle with Discovery Plus, and call it a day. That's it. That's really all you got to do. But I digress. Um, I will say that there have been some good announcements that have come out of Warner Brothers Discovery's formation. And that or one of them would be the hiring of James Gunn to um, lead DC Studios along with Peter Safran. 
Um, but James Gunn has already made like two of the best pieces of DC content that we've seen in years with the Suicide Squad that came out in 2021, as well as Peacemaker, which came out last year. So, I mean, James Gunn is probably one of the best people that um, Warner Brothers Discovery could have gotten to uh, to lead DC Studios. And based on what he's announced so far, um, like the new DC Universe is looking pretty good. Um so I will give I will give Warner Brothers Discovery that. Um another thing I'll give them is that they're announcing a fast or free ad supported streaming TV service. Um now they're announcing this service that's basically going or is basically going to be Warner's version of of think Pluto TV or Tubi um like things like that so honestly if Warner if Warner Brothers Discovery does this right I think that them having their own version of Pluto TV or Tubi. I think that would be a a hit um, amongst consumers if they pick out the right content. Because I don't think or I don't think um, or if they uh, lean into the discovery content too much, um, I think that's going to turn people away or that's going to um, that's going to scare off people from uh, from watching, especially younger viewers. But if they lean into um, more of their scripted content um, and more of their animation and even some of the stuff that they removed from HBO Max last year, I think it could re or that free service from Warner Brothers Discovery could really, um, you know, make a dent in the free streaming service market. But those are pretty much the only two positives that I can think of that um, have come out of Warner Brothers Discovery ever since um, it was formed last year. But yeah, uh, that's about it for this segment. Uh, Let me know what you think about what has gone on at Warner Brothers Discovery. Do you think that, um, that it's been pretty bad um at that company do you think or do you think everything's been going well at that company um what are some of the things that you like that they've done what are some of the things that you don't like that they've done let me know on social media or 
on our community chat server on Discord, and we can uh, continue the conversation there. But yeah, that's about it for this segment, and I'll catch you in the next one. Up next, we'll get into why Google canceling the Pixelbook 2 was a mistake. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. All right, so last but not least, we're going to talk about why Google canceling the Pixelbook 2 was a mistake. So for those of you who don't know, Google canceled the Pixelbook 2 as part of a cost-cutting measure last year to improve company efficiency. Now, Google did a lot of things last year to improve company efficiency, including closing Stadia, laying off people, and so many other things. Um, But I feel like this move in particular is a pretty bad move simply because Google is trying to grow its pixel ecosystem. And you don't grow your ecosystem by limiting what products are in it. So, so I'm going to give some reasons why Google's um, cancellation of the Pixelbook 2 was a bad move. Now, it leaves a gaping hole in the Google Pixel ecosystem. Um, If you look over at Apple, you see they have iPhones, iPads, MacBooks, iMacs, uh, you have like the Mac Studio, you have the Mac Mini, you have what's eventually going to be the Apple Silicon Mac Pro. Um, So there's just like a whole ecosystem of devices that work well with each other. Oh, and the Apple Watches as well. Forgot about those. Um, So yeah, you have an entire ecosystem of products that work well together over there. Meanwhile, with Google, you only have the phone, the watch, or the Pixel Watch, uh, the Pixel Buds, um, and then you also have like the smart displays and um, all the Google Assistant stuff and all the Nest stuff, which are fine, um, but you also need. You also need, or people also need computers, you know, um, and, oh, and also, um, apparently we're going to be getting the Pixel tablet this year, so that's pretty exciting, um, and stay tuned for a future episode of the Cells and Circuits podcast where I review that device, but... In the meantime, um, yeah, it's it's not great that um, 
the Pixelbook 2 um, is a gaping hole in Google's ecosystem. I mean, the original Pixelbook, which I have, um, that came out in 2017, so it's almost six years old now. Um, And it's getting to the point where it's going to be at end of life pretty soon. Um, and then you also have the Pixelbook Go, which is almost five years old. And, and soon, or in a couple of years, that'll also be at end of life. So I feel like a sequel is definitely needed for at least the original Pixelbook. Now, personally... I would, or now personally, I would just change a few things because the original Pixelbook is like almost perfect. It's an almost perfect laptop. I really enjoy using it. Um, I mean, now it's definitely starting to show its age and it's definitely a bit pokey in terms of performance, but but man, when I first got it, I immediately fell in love with it. Um, and, and I think Google following up on that would be awesome. Um, and so that leads me to the second reason why I think that, um, Google canceling the Pixelbook 2 was a bad move and that, There are no flagship ARM Chromebooks to push the limits of what uh, those devices can do. So, what do I mean by that? Um, Well, in Chrome, or for Chrome OS, um, just like Windows, um, you have computers that have uh, different processor architectures You have x86, which are the Intel and AMD chips, or which are computers that have Intel and AMD chips in them. And then you have ARM, or the ARM architecture, which which are computers that right now have um, like Qualcomm or um, MediaTek, or even rock chip um, chips in them. So, um, as far as ARM chips, um, there aren't any flagship ARM devices for Chrome OS. I mean, the only ones that, or the only, the only devices that exist are really. Um, Devices with the Qualcomm Snapdragon 7CX Gen 2 or something like that. Um, I believe that's what it's called. Um, and then you also have like an equivalent MediaTek chip uh, for that. But you don't really get to see, or we don't really get to see like chips like the Qualcomm. Um, Snapdragon 8CX um, in 
in Chrome OS computers. And you don't really get to see top-of-the-line MediaTek chips in, um, in Chrome OS computers. So um, that leads me to uh, my third point, which is that um, it's leaving an avenue of Google or for Google to further develop its Tensor chips because Tensor or the Tensor chips that Google um, has made um, uh, starting with the Pixel 6 series um, back in 2021 um, I mean the, I mean those chips have been customized for the Pixel devices so imagine if Google made those same kinds of customizations for Chromebooks. You could have things like real tone for video calls. You could have things like, or you could have things like, um, or you could also have like, um, you know, better image signal processing and, and just like so many other things that you could do with ARM that you can't really do with um, x86 chips um, because those would be off the shelf chips, at least for the Tensor ones. Um, so I think if Tensor or if Google could use its Tensor chips inside of Chrome or inside of like pixel books, maybe um, if they wanted to make a desktop, maybe they could do that too. Um, though I'm not sure how well that would go, but if they wanted to, they could do that. Um, I just think them having um, Tensor in a Chromebook would or it would definitely set them apart from other Chromebooks because it would have the fastest ARM processor available on a Chromebook. Um, it would have features that aren't available on other Chromebooks. And so, like, just those two reasons alone, like would be great reasons for Google to put a tensor chip in a pixel book um, and maybe of course update the specs and shrink the bezels of of the uh, 2017 pixel book um, and include a higher quality webcam and um, a better keyboard and better speakers and things like that and really have kind of the ultimate laptop or the ultimate Chromebook really um, and then also with Android apps um, on Chromebooks Android apps are already optimized for ARM devices so why not make the ultimate Chromebook with um, an ARM chip. I mean, 
there are already flagship level x86 chromebooks like the hp elite dragonfly and now you have all of these um cloud gaming chromebooks that are coming out um you have the Acer Spin 713, I believe, or 714, whichever one it is. But we don't have that equivalent for ARM yet. Um, and I think that could really do well with Android apps, especially now that LumaFusion, um, which is a video editing app that um, has been out for iOS for years at this point it just came to android and um by extension chrome os and i think that a tensor chip could really do well with um with lumafusion or with apps like lumafusion and um i'll link to um, some videos from Juan Carlos Bagnell from Some Gadget Guy. I think he does great work. Um, he has basically shown that the Tensor chip can really chew up, um, or can really chew up um, video better than even some Qualcomm chips can. So. So, like, I mean, you have Andro- you have powerful Android apps like LumaFusion and Krita. I mean, like, those are being able to run those apps, you know, um, to their limit is reason alone to justify the existence of a flagship ARM Chromebook. Hell, just flagship Chromebooks in general. So, so in the end, I do think that Google canceling the Pixelbook 2 was a mistake. Um, I hope that they can get back in the laptop game um, at some point. I mean, they're getting back in the tablet game after they... Um, got out with the Pixel Slate, so um, you know, never say never, but yeah. Um, what do you think about uh, Google and the Pixelbook 2? Do you think that they were right to cancel it? Do you think that they were wrong to cancel it? Let me know on social media or on Discord, and we can continue the conversation there. But that's going to wrap it up for this segment and this episode. So, yeah. Um, See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cells and Circuits podcast. If you liked what you listened to, please give us a rating on the platform that you're listening on. If you're listening on YouTube, please give this episode a like and also consider subscribing to the channel. Lastly, be sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things cells and circuits. Until next time, I'm Chibeze, signing off.